Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it, but the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. So uh, that they may believe... Uh, that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put, out your, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray together. Mighty Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to make it the best I can through Made it through one sermon at a class before the service, and then now it's number three. So uh, hopefully you can pray as we go along if it's falling apart. Um, over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the early chapters of the book of Exodus, which talk about how God called Moses to be the leader who was going to lead Israel. They were all slaves in Egypt. going to lead them out of Egypt uh, to freedom. And I think it's always helpful to remember that Moses wrote the book of Exodus. So he's writing about all these experiences that happened to him. And one of the themes he brings up over and over again is how acutely he felt his inadequacy for the mission God had given to him. Uh, he's constantly coming up with excuses for why he should not be the one to go. Someone else would be a better choice. And one of the big messages of this passage, and big messages throughout the Bible, is that God works primarily through weakness. 
God works primarily through weakness. And that is the upside-down nature of God's kingdom, is that God does not take on the mighty Egyptians. Egyptians are you know, the wealthiest, strongest nation in the world at that time. God does not take them on through this strong, courageous hero, but with a reluctant, imperfect servant in Moses. And, uh, you know, several years ago, I read a book by a guy named Dan Allender called Leading with a Limp, which is a book about leadership and how important weakness is in leadership. And he tells a story in the beginning about how he kind of accidentally became the president of the graduate school that he had helped found. I guess when they were signing up for accreditation, they had to put on the sheet who the president was, and they didn't have a president, so they said, well, you're the oldest, so you have to sign it. And so he signs it, and then about six months later, they have the first person that they have to lay off in the school. And they say, well, you signed the president sheet, so you got to go fire him. And so he has to go fire this guy. He's never done that before, and he talks about how he, he goes to meet the guy in the office. He says, listen, you know, I don't think this is really working out, and I, you know, I'd love for you to go home and pray about it. Because, you know, I think we're going to have to part ways. And so the guy goes home and prays about it. And he comes back with a plan about how he's going to make everything better. And he's like, you know, I can still do it. And he realized, oh, the firing didn't really stick round one. So round two, no, actually, you're really fired. Don't go home and pray about it. That's the, you're fired. And then the guy says, well, you know, I have a few projects. I still need to figure out, could I stick around for a week or two? to finish up these projects. Like, oh, Christian brother, sure. You know, whatever you need to do. A couple weeks, take it. And so he goes and he talks to his secretary. The secretary says, you said he can stick around for two weeks. He has access to all our computers. You know, if he has any ill will towards the, you know, the school, you know, he could really hurt us. And so he had to go back a third time to fire him and, uh, and asked to fire him again and says, you got to leave right now. And so he's realizing that becoming a leader, he had no idea what he's doing. And, and, that um, all the mistakes that he had seen leaders do throughout his life that really frustrated him, he said, I did all of them. All the things that I thought, how could that leader ever do that? I'm, I made those same mistakes. And um, what he says is that it is imperfect and reluctant leaders that God chooses to use. Reluctant, imperfect leaders. And Allender says this, when we're reluctant to lead, doubting ourselves and our call, we are ripe for growth as a leader. It's in the midst of reluctance and imperfection and doubt and weakness that God really works in us. Well, this, in this passage, we see the reluctance and doubting of Moses. And in particular, he makes three protests to the Lord about why he is the wrong guy. He says, I'm not powerful enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not special enough. Three protests. And the Lord answers each of them, not by saying, oh, stop being so hard on yourself, Moses. You are powerful. You are eloquent. You are special. He doesn't say that. The Lord gives to Moses the promise that he's going to be with him. His own power. It's a totally different way of approaching it. And so this morning, I want to look at each of these three protests that Moses gives. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not special enough. And, uh, and look at the Lord's responses and learn what we can about what the Bible has to teach us about the important topic of weakness. Okay? So three protests that Moses gives. This is the first one. I am not 
powerful enough. You can see that there in verse 1. It says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So Moses' first objection is that when he goes to the people of Israel and says, hey, God's rescuing us out of Egypt, he says they're not going to believe. They're not going to have faith. They're not going to respond with faith. He's saying, I, and I don't have the power to change them. They're not going to believe, and I can't make them believe. Um, I'm going to lead these people and tell them that you are saving them, but they won't believe. Now, this is an important area of reluctance that Moses has because what often causes problems in our families or our workplace or our churches is that we are um, frustrated that we can't make people change. You can't make people believe the gospel. You can't make people believe in God or in the Bible. You can't make people believe in advice that you're giving to them about things that they should do. And often, though, we believe that we can argue people into seeing things our own way or we can manipulate people into seeing things our own way. And the Lord's response to Moses is actually, you can't convince them. The Lord's response is, I can change people, though. So Moses says, I'm not powerful enough. The Lord's response is that the Lord gives change. It is the Lord who changes people. And he illustrates this to Moses with these three miracles that he does. So he first he says, take your staff, throw it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. He transforms, he changes the staff into a snake. And he says, grab it by the tail, pick it up again, it turns back into a staff. God is saying, I can turn a staff into a snake and back again. I am powerful. You may not be powerful, I am powerful. And then he takes this example, he says, stick your hand in your cloak. He sticks his hand in his cloak and he pulls it out and it's all leprous. And he puts it back in and he takes it out again and it's all healed again. He says, I have power over the flesh, over human bodies. I, I can change people. And then he says, you know, if they won't believe those signs, he does this last sign where he says, take some of the water out of the Nile and throw it on dry ground, I'll turn it to blood which of course is a, a picture of what he's going to do on a massive scale in the 10 plagues, if you know the later, what happens later in Exodus. And um, the message of these is that God is saying, I have the power to change things that you don't have the power to change. I have the power to change things that you cannot change. It's true you cannot change them. Why is that important? that we recognize that we can't change people, but God can. Well, first, I think for one, if you realize that you can't change people, when people don't listen to you, you don't take it so personally. Because you're not, you know, I can't change them with my words. Oftentimes, we give people advice and they don't listen to it, and we say, why didn't they listen? Well, you know, and we're defensive about it. Um, embracing... Our weakness prepares us to see the limits of our own power. And we're not surprised when people don't change. Um, I also think it keeps us from trying to control people. You know, um, one of the big applications for this as Christians is that we recognize that someone's faith is a work of God in their lives. My perfect love, my perfect answers to their questions, my perfect advice won't make them believe. But when you believe that God is working... That doesn't just lead you to despair and say, wow, no one's going to change. What's the point of investing in people and caring for people? Knowing that God does change people keeps you invested, 
keeps you involved in their life because you're waiting to see what God's going to work in their, in their own time. And you know, this is an important lesson for Moses. If you know the story of Moses, he's going to lead God's people into the wilderness. They're going to wander out of, after they come out of Egypt. They're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and they don't believe. They complain against the Lord and actually the first generation that comes out of Egypt dies in the wilderness because they don't trust the Lord. And yet Moses needs to stay as their leader for decades patiently waiting for God's work, for God's purposes to happen. And so Moses is saying, I can't change people. But God does not, Moses is not saying I can't, uh, or Moses is saying I can't change people so I shouldn't go. God says wrong. You should say I can't change people so I do what God's called me to do without controlling others, without getting frustrated with them because I know God will work in them in his own time. So the first protest is about the inability of God's people, Israel. They're not going to believe. But the second protest, Moses says, well, you know, it's not just them that's got a problem. It's also, I have some problem as well. And the second protest is he says, I'm not eloquent enough. So first, he says, I'm not powerful enough to change people. Second, I'm not eloquent enough. And you see it that in verse 10. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. He said, I'm not a persuasive communicator. And one of the reasons that this is important is because speaking and teaching and preaching, using words, is an immensely important part of leadership in the Bible. That's often who the leaders in the Bible are, right? Are their teachers. People are teaching God's people and the pastors and the, the apostles. And I would say in general, the Bible um, talks about how powerful words are, right? The Bible, how did God make the world? He spoke the world into existence. And then God tells Adam and Eve to have dominion over the whole creation. How does he tell them to have dominion? by naming things, by using words. And then God reveals himself to humanity. How does God reveal himself to humanity? Through a book, through words, and through people like us going around and having conversations with people and telling them about who Jesus is and who God is, through speech, through words. And in many ways, the world is ruled through words. You know, if you're someone who starts a business or an organization who's a visionary leader, what do they have to do? They have to communicate their vision. They're a teacher. That's often what they're doing. If you're, you know, if you're a manager, you're an owner of a business, you're often teaching your staff, teaching the people under you, you're communicating the vision. This is what we're about. It is the, wor the way that we rule the world is through words, by inspiring people through words. And Moses says, you want me to be the leader, but I'm no good with words. The Lord's response is that the Lord gives words. Look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I love that line where he says, I will be with your mouth. You know, it's like God's with your mouth. And actually, if you know... In the New Testament, Jesus, when he's training his disciples, he says almost the exact same thing to his disciples who are going to go out in the world. This is from Luke 21. Let me read this. 
Jesus speaking, he says, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. I will give you a mouth. I love that. I will put words in your mouth. And some of you have experienced that. Maybe all of you have experienced that. You know, if you've ever been talking to a family member or a friend who's asking you about your faith or about God, and all of a sudden you start saying things that you've never thought before. You have some new answer to some question, and I had really never had that answer, and literally... The word was not even in my brain. It just started coming out of my mouth. The Holy Spirit gave me words on the spot. That is what God does, is he puts words in our mouth. And when we see how important words are, we realize how incredible it is that God will give us words of power. Um, You know, if you look later in the Bible, it's remarkable to think about how Jesus is planning to take over the world. You know, the Bible says... Bible's claim is that Jesus is the true king of the world and he is subduing the whole world under his feet. And the way he's doing that, there's a description in, in the book of Revelation where it describes Jesus, you know, going out on this white horse and he's going out to battle and there's a sword coming out of his mouth. And you might be, what's with the sword coming out of his mouth? And what it says is that the way the Lord conquers is through words. And that's what he's doing is he's going, he's gone into every nation, every people group, and he doesn't have any tanks, he doesn't have any guns, he doesn't have any, you know, airplanes that are dropping bombs or anything like that, he doesn't have an army. What does he have? His people speaking, saying words, and his words cut people to the heart like a sword, and they are humbled, and they realize who they are, and they realize who God is, and their lives are changed. And this is amazing that those words of power God promises to give to Moses, he promises also to give to us. But you might ask, well, what does that have to do with weakness, though? What do words of power have to do with weakness? I thought this was about our weakness, embracing our weakness. Well, I put a quote from Dan Allender on page three of your bulletin from that book, Leading with a Limp. This is what Dan Allender says. Leaders are primarily storytellers and story makers. And troubled people are called to be leaders because they create and tell compelling stories. Sane, reasonable, play it safe people are not sufficiently engaged in life to generate great stories. Instead, they sit back and wait for a leader storyteller to come along and get them caught up in a life worth living. And what I love about that quote is that Allender says that it is troubled people who create and tell compelling stories. They're weak. It's because one of the most important things that we have to say to our world is what hope there is in all the brokenness. And we cannot answer that unless we ourselves have experienced that brokenness. And so our weakness is an essential ingredient in what God wants to say through us. 
that we've experienced a weakness. That's an essential ingredient. What God wants to say to the world is our weakness. And so we don't have a story to tell unless we are troubled people. It's an important realization. Because for many of us, the reality that I'm a troubled person, we see as the main reason why God would not work through me. God should send someone who is not so troubled, not so weak. And the Bible inverts that and says, yes, it is one of the main reasons that God would work through you is because you are a troubled person. And that leads to the last protest that Moses has is he says, I'm not special enough. I'm not powerful enough. I can't change people. The Lord says, don't worry about it. I can change people. He says, I'm not eloquent enough. The Lord says, don't worry about that. I will put words in your mouth. But lastly, he says, I am not special enough. And you see that in verse 13 is his final protest where he just, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Someone else must be more fit for the job than for me. Now, again, how would our culture answer that? When Moses says, I'm not special enough. I, I'm not fit for this job. Our culture would answer and say, Moses, by golly, you are special <laughs> Stop, stop having those bad thoughts about yourself. You can do whatever you set your mind to. And the whole train of thought is to deny the reality of our weakness. That way of thinking is never found in the Bible, to deny our weakness. How does the Lord respond to Moses saying, I'm not the special guy? I think it's interesting. The Lord gives him a companion. The Lord gives him someone to go with him. I, and you, you see that there in verse 14, where it says, then the, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now, by the way, the Lord's not angry that M Moses is weak. He's angry that Moses is unbelieving. But listen to how gracious the Lord is. He's angry, but then listen to what he says. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite, I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. The Lord does not say to Moses, Moses, you really are special. Don't be so hard on yourself. He doesn't say that. He says, I will send someone with you who loves you. That's so what he says. You know, Aaron's going to come and he's going to be glad in his heart when he sees you. I, someone that you love and there's someone that loves you, I'm going to put with you. And that is always how the Lord works in the Bible is that he does not take away our weakness. The Lord knows our weakness. Actually, the Bible says that God became a man in Jesus and experienced our weakness. He, he's, he can sympathize with it. And so he has a very a tender and caring way about how he deals with us in our weakness. Um, and so though he doesn't take away our weakness, he does give us his grace. And so when Moses says, I'm not powerful enough, I'm not eloquent enough, I'm not special enough, the Lord answer says, I will give change, I will give you words, I will give you a companion. Grace, grace, grace. So it's a question for us. Are we expecting in our Christian life that God is going to take away our weakness? He's going to take away our inadequacy. He's going to take away our powerlessness. 
He's not going to do that. And why, why, is, why won't he do that? Why won't God take away our weakness? Because the story that we are all meant to live is a story that is not about us becoming great. If it was about you becoming great, he'd take away your weakness. But it's not about you becoming great. It's about him becoming great. And he is shown to be great, particularly through your weakness. And that's why he leaves it there and then dumps his grace all over you. And, of course, many of you know the Apostle Paul learned this lesson. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about how the Lord had given him this thorn in his flesh, which we don't know exactly what that is, but it was something that was really painful, really hard, a weakness. And Paul multiple times went before the Lord. He probably spent days fasting and praying, pleading with the Lord, will you please free me from this weakness? And then he finally realized that the Lord was not going to take it from him. And this is what the Apostle Paul says, and I'll close with these words. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. You hear that? I'm content with weakness. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for this hopeful passage. We feel all these things that Moses felt, that we can't change people, that we don't have eloquent words to speak, and ultimately that we don't feel like we are special or fit. So Lord, um, assure us of your promises and your grace. Bring companions into our lives who we love and who love us that we may follow you in our weakness and obey your call and trust you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.